chapter 9, Daniel 9, continuing our study here through the book of Daniel. If you remember correctly, when we started our study in the book of Daniel, we talked about how half of it is prophetic and the other half is uh, narratives telling of a story. What you have here in Daniel 9 is a good example of half the chapter deals with Daniel and what he was going through in his prayer, where the second half of the chapter deals with prophecies that are coming. So we're going to break this chapter into two weeks. We're going to do verses 1 through 19, Lord willing, time willing, today. And then we're going to do verses 20 through 27 next week. And I would say next week is probably the most famous of all of Daniel's prophecies. It's a 70-week prophecy of Daniel, and it really explains everything that's going to be happening in times here. Very uh, neatly done, and I hope you can make it out that week for that. So with that being said, Daniel chapter 9, let's go ahead and start here and see what's going on. Verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherius, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. We'll stop right there. Generally speaking, when we read a verse like that, we turn our minds off and we don't care what it's trying to say. But it's saying there in verse 1, time frame, you can look at your sheet. This is roughly 539 B.C., Daniel has now been a slave for 66 years. So if Daniel was taken as a slave as a mid-teenage boy, which most people believe he was, Daniel's probably 80s, early 80s here of what's going on. So keep that in the back of your mind. Daniel's in prayer. He's about an 80-some-year-old man. He's been a slave now for 66 years through the Babylonian kingdom and also through the Medes and the Persians. He's seen a lot. He's been around a lot. Well, something happens here. What happens? Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Go to the next step here. Daniel is in the word. He realizes that the 70 years is almost up. Now, like I said, we have a lot to cover tonight, so I wish we could get into this more detail, but I'll let you just kind of look at this here. And God allowed Babylon to come in and take over Israel. He said they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. Well, Daniel is realizing, hey, it's pushing 70 years, and I've been in captivity. He knows by studying the scriptures. And you can look at the references there in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. This was spelled out exactly what was going to happen. Spelled out exactly. Literally, 70 years. God says in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29, he goes, I'm going to have you go into captivity for 70 years. And why 70 years? Most people believe is this. One of the requirements of the Old Testament law was that every seventh year, you took the year off. I love that. You took the year off. No planting, no farming, no working. You trust in faith that God's just going to provide for you and your family, and that just naturally, through God's hand, that the crops would grow, you would go out and harvest them, and you got the whole year off. That's amazing. Imagine that today, where every seventh year, you just take the year off, you just trust the Lord that he'll provide for your food, he'll provide for everything you need. But what happened was, there's not one single recorded instance in the Bible of Israel actually doing that. So this went on for 490 years. Well, God comes back and says, you guys owe me 70 Sabbath years. 490 divided by, you know, seven, 70. He goes, I'm going to take them. And the way I'm going to take them is I'm going to have you guys be taken captive and taken out of Jerusalem. And so basically Jerusalem's going to sit there desolate for 70 years, and that's exactly what happened. It's an amazing thing. God prophesied this. God knew what was going on. And the thing is, Daniel knew this. This is why he's a man of the word. There's two things we're going to talk about today. Daniel is a man of the word, and he's a man of prayer. And I just use that word man because he's a man, obviously. But wherever you're at, God has asked you to be two people. Be a man or woman of prayer and be a man or woman of the Word. It amazes me how many Christians try to live their life without being in the Word of God. 
I have no idea how you make it without being in the Word of God to know what the Lord wants you to do. I have no idea how somebody would make it without being in prayer on a regular basis. Being in the Word and being in prayer is how God speaks to us and moves us and uses us. See, look at that verse again, verse 2. I, Daniel, understood by the books. Made me think of this reference here in 2 Timothy 2.15 that I put down. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm not saying you're going to have every single answer from every Bible question that anybody could ever ask. You're not. But when you rightly divide the word of truth, you know what God's word says. He knows what he's called you to do. You don't have to sit there and say, you know what? I wonder if I should yell and scream at my boss. No, you know the word of God says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You don't sit there and say, you know what, I wonder what type of father I should be. Because God's word tells you what type of father to be. You know what, I wonder if I should do this or not. Because God's word gives you a clear path and direction. When you rightly divide the word of truth, you know God's called you to do. The example I always use is every few years, this pops up. Generally when Hollywood makes a movie or when the History Channel or Discovery Channel tries to inform us of something biblical. I have somebody come up to me and ask me about Jesus' wife. It happens a lot. Either a movie comes out in Hollywood or there's a special in the History Channel or Discovery Channel that talks about Jesus' wife. Now, people come up and say, what about this thing with Jesus' wife? And I say, Jesus didn't have a wife. Well, how can you be so sure? Just a few weeks ago, someone found this little manuscript thing that was completely bogus. And, you know, Jesus had a wife. How do you know that Jesus didn't have a wife? Because I know. How do you know? Because according to the Bible, guess what? I'm Jesus' wife. Now that's a fun conversation starter. The Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says, I'm the bride of Christ. So if you want to know if Jesus was married, he is married. He's married to everybody who claims Jesus as their Savior. That's the bride of Christ. Now, I don't know that answer because I'm deep. I'm not saying I don't know that answer because I'm smarter than the History Channel or the Discovery Channel. I know that because I've studied out the Bible and the Bible calls me the bride of Christ. That's rightly dividing the word of truth. So when you know God's word, it amazes me how many things you don't have to worry about. Last year, the world was going to end sometime in May, right? Didn't somebody say that? So somebody came up and they were concerned, is the world going to end in May? No, the world's not going to end in May. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me that no one knows the day nor the hour. So if someone's telling me it's going to be fill in the blank May 12th at 10 p.m., I can tell you for sure it's not going to be May 12th at 10 p.m. Because no one knows the day or hour. It's not because we're super smart, but because we rightly divide the word truth. So Daniel is a man of the word. He knew, hey, Jeremiah said 70 years. Hey, I've been here 66 years. I should probably start thinking, God, what are you going to do next? Now, before we get into verse 4, which is his prayer, let's stop there. Does anybody have any first questions, comments about anything we covered here in the first just couple verses? Ryan, right. And that's, and that's a good question, and the honest answer is there's not a set-in-stone answer. What most people do is they actually work backwards. They work backwards from where uh, Darius gave the command to be able to go, leave. So then they go from that date and work backwards rather than trying to find the date when they think the siege captivity started. So what a lot of people do is go to the beginning of the book of Nehemiah or something like that or Ezra where they say, okay, when did they get the command to be able to send the Jews back? That's what a lot of people do is actually work backwards. So kind of one way to look at it there. Anybody else have any other questions? All right, let's move on here. Let's find out about Daniel's prayer. Now, I know when it comes to prayer, a lot of times when we talk about prayer, it kind of almost, I hate to use the word, it gets boring because most people think, well, you're just praying. You're just talking to God. I got it. Let's move on. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I don't know as much about prayer as I think I do. And I realize most people don't know as much about prayer as they think they do. Look at verse 3. I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Three points there about prayer. First off, prayer is towards God. I know that sounds like the simplest point. Who else are you praying to if you're not praying towards God? Here's the problem. A lot of times when we pray, we're not praying towards God. We're praying towards some Santa Claus in the sky. 
Lord, give me this. Lord, I want this. I want this job. I want this money. I want this girl. I want this guy. I want you to heal my health. I want you to heal my marriage. I want you to fix my kids. You're not really praying towards God. You're just telling some being up there in heaven everything you want. And here's my checklist. And Lord, by the way, thank you. Amen. I've also seen people, and I've seen this to myself, where they think they're praying, and they're really not praying. They're kind of just having a conversation with themselves about things. When you, when you look at people in prayer in the Bible, it's directed towards God. He is the being that you're talking to. He's the most important person. He is God. And so therefore, the prayer is all about him. It's not about you. And when you look at Daniel's prayer here that goes on, you know, first off, this prayer, if read out loud, maybe five, ten minutes, I don't know. And what happens is this prayer is mostly about the Lord. Remember that when it comes to your prayer. Just take a quick inventory of your prayer and just think of how much of your prayer is just asking God to do something. You're missing out on a lot of prayer. Prayer is communicating with God and not only talking to him, but also listening to what he has in store for you. Next thing you see here in verse 3, and I think this is forgotten a lot, prayer can involve fasting. Now, we just covered fasting not that long ago on Sunday, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but fasting is a powerful weapon in your prayer life. If you're hurting in life, be it your marriage is hurting, be it your relationships are hurting, work situations, whatever it is, prayer is a powerful weapon that God has given us, and I encourage you to use fasting when it comes to your prayer life. And lastly, what you see here, prayer involves humbleness. This idea of sackcloth and ashes that's an Old Testament way of showing humbleness. I remember when I first got saved, somebody told me, you have to remember, you're not only praying to your father, you're not only praying to your brother, you're not only praying to your best friend, so be open in your prayers, but you're also praying to the God of the universe that created the heavens and earth. That's powerful. And there, in my mind, I try to have this balance of, yes, the Bible says in Hebrews, I can boldly go to the throne of grace. I can pray anytime I want, anywhere I want, any way I want, and God hears me because he's my God. Amen. But there's also this idea of, Wow, I'm also talking to God. There's a humbleness that comes with that. I put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 down here just to remind you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Look at this Lex phrase. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. How many times in your prayer life do you lean on your own understanding? Lord, they gave you this great opportunity at work. It's a really great opportunity. I'd really like to have it. I pray that you'd bless me so I can get this new job. Thank you. Well, who told you it's a great opportunity? You did. You figured it out. So you just need God to say yes to it. Or Lord, this is the great gal. I think she's wonderful. I think she's great. Lord, I pray that you'd bless it out that I could work it out with her. Who says she's a great gal? Well, I did because I like her. See, how many times in our prayer life are we leaning on our own understanding? I used to, in these, in these deep situations of prayer, I used to give God like all this information like he didn't know. And I felt like I had to tell him every single side, Lord, there's a situation at church and I don't know what I should do. See, Lord, there's this one side and then there's this other side. But Lord, if we do this, and I really reached a point now of freedom to say, Lord, there's this situation at church. Please give us wisdom. He knows it. I don't have to lean on my own understanding. I just need to in all my ways acknowledge him, and, I, and he shall direct their paths. I can remember when I used to pray for people. I used to feel like I had to give Lord everything. Now I can just say, Lord, this person's really hurting in life. I just pray, Lord, that, that marriage is hurting. Lord, that person's struggling. I don't need to sit there and tell the Lord every one of their struggles. He already knows it. There may be a struggle I don't even know about, and that's the beauty of it, is I can just give it over to the Lord and lean not on my own understanding. If you look at the back of your sheets, there's just something. We've hit this before, so this probably looks familiar to you. Just a couple acronyms here on prayer. Prayer should incorporate a time of praise, a time of confession, a time of asking. Now, please do note now that every time you pray, you're not going to go through each one of these. I, I remember one time distinctly, Dawn and I were traveling on the road. It was bad weather, and the roads got a little slippery, and we went, and we did a, a 180 into the side of the road there. 
during the snow, and I didn't start out with the time of praise. I didn't follow with the time of confession. I just said, Lord Jesus, help us. I went right to the asking, okay? When I pray with people before meals, I usually say, Lord, thanks for the food, thanks for the fellowship, amen. I'm pretty straightforward. I don't start out with, you know what? Let's all read Psalm 105 before we... I know a family, and I won't say their name, but it always impressed me. They said they used to pray after they ate because they were so excited to eat that they sometimes would wait to after they ate because they said, well, that's the way we could really tell the Lord, thank you, it's because it was good. I'm not saying every time you pray, you're going to have a time of praise, confession, asking. I encourage you, and, I, and the Bible sets an example, make a daily routine of real prayer with the Lord. Not just this 30 seconds, you're up in the morning, Lord, go before my day, be with my wife, be with my kids. Or not this, hey, Lord, I'm falling asleep, my head's on the pillow, I'm kind of going out here now to sleep, thank you for the day. I'm saying a time where you actually etch out time, and you say, you know what, I want to pray for people. I want to do that. You know, when the Bible says pray for them, I really want to pray for them. So when somebody gives me a prayer request, I write it down, and I want to pray for that person. I want to pray for those marriages that are hurting. I want to pray for those relationships. I want to pray for those people that need a job. I want to pray for those people struggling. And and you make time to do it. Dawn and I, when we do our prayer, I'm not saying we do it every time, we try to start out with praise and thanksgiving. Just, Lord, thank you for what you've done. So if you look here, praise, confession, act, and asking, there's two acronyms there, acts and prayer. Both of them got the same points. You're going to see these things in Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, with those who keep his commandments. What's verse 4? Verse 4 is praise and adoration. That Daniel just starts out with, God, you're awesome, you're amazing. What a neat way to start out with prayer. Just really stopping and thanking God for just being God. Now, he gets to the confession part, verse 5. We have sinned, committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, or our princes, to our fathers, and all the people of the land. He comes right out and says, I need to confess everything. And he uses a lot of different words here. Look at verse 5. We broke it down. Sinned, committed iniquity, done wickedly, and rebelled. Now what do those words mean? Sin. Sin is actually an archery term that means you missed the mark. So if the bullseye is here and you miss it by a quarter of an inch or if you miss it by a mile, you still sinned. And so what happens in your daily life, you just miss the mark. You have every intention of being a good person. You have every intention of being a moral person. You have every intention of getting up early and spending time with God, and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus today, and I'm going to pray. I'm not going to snap at my spouse. I'm not going to snap at my kids. And next thing you know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and you've done all those. You sinned. So Daniel just says, we've sinned. Next thing, we've committed iniquity. This is where you take something specific that the Word of God says, and next thing you know, God says to do this, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm way over here. Man. I, 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 I committed iniquity. There was, there was a boundary line that God set spiritually, and, and I crossed that line. Lord, I'm sorry. I've done wickedly. This is just outright disobedience. This is pre-planned. I'm just going to sin. This is not, man, I, I told myself I wasn't going to cuss today, and I cussed, Lord. I committed iniquity. I'm sorry. This is not, Lord, I'm just a sinful guy. I'm sinning. This is, you know what? At 5 o'clock, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. I know it's wrong, and I don't care, and I'm going to have fun. You're going to pay the consequences. That's just doing wickedly. last one is rebelling, just plain out defying authority. I know what God wants me to do. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that. Well, I know what God wants me to do. I don't care. Wow, that's a dangerous area. That's just outright rebellion. But Daniel is saying here, as a nation, we've sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've done wickedly, we've rebelled. 
We've done it all. We're, we're, we're sinful. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face. Boy, is that not the gospel message in a nutshell? God is righteous, I'm shameful. There is no middle ground. God is righteous and I'm not bad. No, God is righteous and I'm completely, utterly shamed. I, I, I've told you the story before. One time there was a guy out here that did some counseling with another guy. He told me this story. And he said this other guy called him up and said, Man, I'm a horrible dad, horrible father, horrible man. Just went down this whole list of everything I'm doing wrong. And he summed up and he said, Man, I'm just a loser. And the guy said to him, he says, It took you that long to figure it out. Isn't that the truth? If you thought you brought some righteousness into this church tonight, no way. We're all shamed. We're all sinful. We're all wicked. God is righteous. It's only through Christ do we even have any righteousness. Verse 7, To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Note in this prayer, there's one verse of praise and adoration, there's 11 verses of confession, and then three verses of asking. Now, I, I'm just going to share me, because I'm not going to put you guys on the hot seat. My prayers don't work out that way. I'll say I got a verse or two of adoration and praise, maybe a verse of confession, followed about 20 verses of asking. That's the way my prayer life usually works. Daniel here is really setting the scene of confession, of a broken heart before the Lord. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law, has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Verse 11 is so straightforward. If you go back to Deuteronomy, God made it abundantly clear. He goes, if you obey me, good things happen. If you disobey me, bad things happen. It is that simple. Same thing happens today in Christianity. Somebody comes up and says, my life is falling apart. Why is your life falling apart? Well, because of this, 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 and this. Well, I'm not being judgmental, but none of those choices are good godly choices. When you don't make good godly choices, what do you think is going to happen? When we don't follow the guidelines of the Bible in our lives and on our relationships, those lives and relationships fall apart. That's why God says here in verse 11, when you disobey my law, you're going to fall apart. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words and he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. Jerusalem was attacked, destroyed by Babylon. Under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Verse 13 is so true. When we run into problems in our life, it's God's loving way of saying, come to me. Don't be rebellious. Verse 14, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Daniel comes out and says, we're wrong. Now, after all that confession, he can finally get to what he's asking. Verse 16, O Lord, According to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and all your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, calls your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes, and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deed, because of 
of your great mercies. There's two points there that are vital. The reason God answers prayers, look at verse 17, it's for his glory. He does not answer prayers for your glory. Lord, this would really help me out a lot in life if you would just do this for me. Lord, this would really make my life go a lot better. Could you just do this for me? No, he says yes when it helps him. And I use that word helps lightly. He says yes when it's something that furthers the kingdom, furthers the glory. I've shared with you before, uh, the pastor down from uh, um, Cincinnati, we were just talking about him at a board meeting earlier, Ed Gaines. And Ed uh, was, uh, had to take um, dialysis like 20 plus years. And when he when he got saved, he just kept saying, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me. And he said he finally reached a realization that, you know what? God is going to be more glorified by not healing and that by this problem that I have, I can then witness to more nurses and more doctors. And said he actually reached a point spiritually where someone would come up and say, Ed, I'm praying for you to get healed. And in his mind, he would say, oh, no, don't. <laughs> don't pray for healing for me because it's through this God is glorified more. Now, Ed meant that. Ed meant that to the point of Ed just passed away a couple weeks ago, and he meant that. And I look at this passage, and I say, verse 17, for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on. Note Daniel doesn't say, Lord, please, we've suffered enough. It's been 70 years. Can't you make this stop? He says, no, Lord, for your sake, do this. And look what he says here in verse 18. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds. How many times in our prayer, or maybe not verbally, we just do it subconsciously. God has to answer my prayer. I've been really good today. I read double devotions. I haven't said a single bad word. I haven't snapped at anybody. I've been doing really, really good. So God has to say yes. Like we think... Our righteousness tips the scale for God saying yes. It doesn't work that way. And be thankful it doesn't work that way. Because the truth of the matter is, none of us have enough righteousness in our scales to tip the scales. We don't. If God says, okay, James, I will answer your prayers yes when you do enough good, catches I can never do enough good. So God says yes when it goes for his glory and because of his righteousness. Look at verse 19. It sums it up. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are all by your What a great prayer. What a great prayer. Now, I wanted to finish with communion tonight. Part of the reason why we rushed through everything is because when I was looking through verses 5 through 16, this heart of confession. Let's just be honest. Let's go look at our list here again. We've all sinned today. Probably a good chunk of us have committed iniquity today. hate to say it, but probably some of us have done wickedly today. Some of us may even be rebellion today. What a great opportunity to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your righteousness. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And that's what we get to do tonight is go to him in communion. We get to partake of this. Now, with communion, we have an open communion policy, meaning we don't have church membership. So there is no, you have to be a part of Harvest to partake of communion. What communion is, very simply, for us, is a communion is a time for believers. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've made that confession, a time for you to go to your Savior. And as you partake of this, the one representation of the body, the other representation of the blood, it's time for you to go and say, Lord, this body was broken for me, so I partake of this to remember what you did. Lord, this cup that I partake of is a representation of your blood that was shed for my forgiveness of sins. That's something I get to partake of. The Bible says that the guys that are helping here with communion, please come forward. The Bible, when talking about communion, lays down some really interesting points, some really interesting things about this. 